Hey, it's Jeff here. After working as an automotive tech for almost 25 years, I can honestly say that finding employment with the right shop has been the difference maker between loving what I do every day or hating my career choice. Let me tell you, I've been there, but I've also had jobs where work didn't really feel like work. I love the challenge of fixing cars. So loving what I do, that's the easy part. Finding a good place to do it in, now that's been the struggle. And that's where my friends at ProMotive knock it out of the park. They're a recruitment company specializing in jobs for our automotive industry. A-techs, B-techs, master techs, service advisors, managers, you name it. They are constantly looking for applicants in automotive to link them with available job postings at only the best vested shops around the country. ProMotive has a team of professional recruiters that can help you with your resume, prep you for the interview process, and negotiate the best pay and benefits package for you. And best of all, it's free to anyone looking to gain employment. Check them out at gopromotive.com slash Jeff. gopromotive.com slash Jeff. Just think, you could be just five minutes away from finding your dream job. So I've had comments of people being like, why are you showing this? Like To me, it's like, why do I care if I show a DIY guy how to do something with a $5,000 scan tool that they're never going to buy a $5,000 scan tool to do? They're never going to have the capability to. I don't have much faith in the abilities of a lot of guys that are already in the industry. And while a lot of those guys might be trainable with the right training in the right direction and stuff like that, I mean, dude, I know some techs that are 40, 50 years old, but I'm like, I don't understand how you made it this far, how you're still like doing this job. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting, thought-provoking episode of the Jada Mechanic Podcast. My name's Jeff, and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey of reflection and insight into the toils and triumphs of a career in automotive repair. After more than 20 years of skin knuckles and tool debt, I want to share my perspectives and hear other people's thoughts about our industry. So pour yourself a strong coffee or grab a cold Canadian beer and get ready for some great conversation. Social media, social media, <laughs> social media, social media realm of the technicians of Facebook, technicians of TikTok. Um, he is probably should be diagnosed as a workaholic, um, but he is he is very good at diagnostics. I'm sitting here with um, tonight with Check Engine Chuck, so it's uh, say hello, Chuck. Hey, how you guys doing? I was actually earlier today. I was listening to. Um, the latest one that you have on on Spotify with uh, Chris Enright, and um, yeah. I was driving home and I popped up to the point. I think you guys were still at ASTE at the time. Okay, yep. so yeah, yeah, yeah. Then and I got to the point where you're talking about you know Scanner Danner and me and mm-hmm. and how you would have liked to see me there and stuff. And I'm thinking the whole time I'm like, you mentioned um, Super Mario Diagnostics, so I'm like, right. you know what, what what sucks and like people will talk to me about, about these people and and like. Uh, who are the other, like uh, Erico, I think he's South Main, and then there's like Pine Hollow Auto Diagnostics. I, I know the names of these people, but I, like, through through my career, I have zero formal training, which is why I I had never even heard of, of the training events that you guys go to until maybe six or seven months ago. Did not know that they yep. existed. And unfortunately, because of that, I also, you know, I don't know, I was the type that I didn't go to... Um, to YouTube or Google for help back in the day because it was so easy to find misinformation that I was big on figuring out myself. 
And I like, well, I know the names of these guys. I wish that I had the time to look at more of their content because the way that people talk about them is that they are the cream of the crop, like smartest guys, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's not just about, you know, there's lots of, I forget all the time. I say that there's a whole lot of people out there that are doing what you do, what I do, what these top tier guys do. And they just don't, they've never bothered to build themselves a platform. You know what I mean? For them, it's just, they, they clock in, they do the job and they go home. I know lots of them, um, through interacting on Facebook and social media, whatever, but I mean, they're not out there putting content out, right? They just show up and they fix these really complicated problems and then they go home and, right. <laughs> you know, their mom and their, their, they see their, you know, their wives and their, and their children and, and it's, they leave it at home. I've never been that good at being able to leave the job at home in terms of if I've got a car that's, I've, you and I talked last month, you had that day there where two cars were just absolutely kicking your, your weekend. And um, I know that you're like that. Oh, a lot of people I know, you? though, are they, they just go home and, and they don't even think about the car till the next. I might have lost you. Um, but I've always been that type where I can't sleep. It it eats me up. It, it drives me crazy. And when we talked last month, you had two of them just absolutely kicking your tail. And you you posted on TikTok about it. It was you know had you feeling really run down. Have you always been like that, where you just can't? Yeah, I can't. I can't leave it like I could probably think back to uh, a job from 10 years ago that would haunt me now if I really tried hard to. I probably blocked it out pretty well at this point, but I almost I guarantee I could think of I have horror stories of stuff that I've worked on. And, and like that's a you know, not to veer too much off topic, but that's that's a huge thing, too, is like, you know, people people watch, you know, people like us that create on social media and stuff and you know, they get this impression, like an immediate impression, like you were saying is, you know, oh, this guy sucks or this guy's like a God or whatever. Like, I'm just a guy when it comes down to it. And at one point I was a guy that really, really yeah. sucked at this job, you know? So yeah, I've got things that, that probably haunt me from years and years ago. Um, you know, I have a, um, a Mercedes EIS from, I, I mean, I, I invested probably $2,000 worth of equipment into this. I probably have 15 hours into it of trying to figure out how I can clone the CIS, virginize another one, um, and, uh, you know, basically fix this car for this place that's trying to fix it on a budget instead of just buying an EIS from, from Mercedes. And, um, I'll never get that time back. I can't do it because it's, it's an EIS that they used for like two years that uses a microprocessor instead of an EEPROM. So that's where I really ran into the, the fault there with trying to virginize it and, and everything. And, um, you know, I invested so much time and money into this thing that I'll never get back. And I probably won't stop thinking about it until a year from now, you know? So when you say no formal training, can you kind of fill us in on, on what the backstory is of, of you? Because for a guy that has no backs, like no formal training, you're pretty, you're pretty competent. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're up, you're up there with the, the EEPROM stuff and the, like you just were talking about cloning. So how did it all start for you? Well, um, the, the EEPROM and cloning stuff is stuff that I'm really just starting to get into, um, you know, and that's pretty much how my career has been since the beginning. There was always something new that I was just starting to get into. Like, I, I got into this because um, when I was, you know, when I was 13, 14, Fast and the Furious came out. So everybody was out parking a lot, pimping and stuff. And um, I got my license at 14 when I was in Delaware. So the ability to drive was something that came early to me um, compared to a lot of people. So I bought um, a van for my stepdad 
for a dollar when I moved to my father's house in New York when I was like just about to turn 15. Um, so he sold me his van for a dollar. I drove it up here. No plates, no insurance, no registration, just like a typical, you know, 15 year old kid would, um, you know, barely, barely knew how to hit the gas and brakes properly. And uh, drove all the way up from Delaware up here to New York, which is about a four and a half hour trip. And when I got here, I had to register the van and I needed to get a New York state inspection. I'm not sure how your inspection processes or if you have them work up there, but um, here, as soon as you register a vehicle, you have 10 days to get it state inspected. So I brought it to a shop for the inspection. They told me that I needed a tailpipe, which now in, you know, years later, I, I realized I didn't actually need for inspection, but regardless, I couldn't afford for them to do it. So I went and I got a tailpipe for, I think like 60 bucks at Advance Auto Parts. Um, if it was even that, it might've been auto parts stores back then when it was in town, but got a tailpipe, bought a hacksaw for like eight bucks. And I sat out there and it took me the entire day to change a tailpipe on my van that I bought for a dollar. And I loved it. I was like, it was, this is like the greatest thing I ever did. And then I probably that day I went, okay, I'm a mechanic now, you know? Right. And uh, that was just, you know, I, at that point I was trying to find shops that would be, um, you know, kind enough to take me on as an apprentice. I very quickly realized that in my area, the idea of an apprentice is not something that exists. Um, New York state labor laws have a lot to do with that. You can't have someone working for you as like, you, there's no actual like internships in New York state without qualifying them as an internship position. There's a whole lot to, that goes to it that a, a repair shop with two people in it is not going to go through to have someone learning for yeah. free. Um, so in reality, I had to, I had to find a job. Um, and uh, we had a Sears in Danbury, Connecticut. That was my first professional gig. Um, started working there when I was like 16. Might've still been 15. I think I was like 16. What was New York's laws with working? Actually, it was in Connecticut, so it doesn't matter. But regardless, uh, 15 or 16, my first job was at Sears. Before and during that, I used to just hang out at the auto parts store and basically like, I was the guy that you, you see at AutoZone that's like, oh, you need a belt? I'll put it on for 15 bucks, you know? And um, and then from there, I, I just kind of like built the career any way I could. I hated Sears. I realized very early on in the career, I did not want to do oil changes and, and tires. Um, right. I, I, I just, I hate lube tech work. Honestly, it's, it's like, I just hate it. Just, I despise it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so Sears, I was there for like, I don't know, I think a year or something. And then I, uh, made the abrupt decision to move back down to Delaware. Um, down there in the meantime, I worked at an auto zone. Yes. I was an auto zone employee for a period of time. Um, and then I finally found a job at a, uh, a Meineke and going into that Meineke, I thought I was like, I thought I was king shit when I didn't know nothing. So I walked in there. I say, Hey, you know, you guys hiring? There's this old dude, Barry at the counter. And he's like, ah, we already got a lube tech. And I was like, no, no man, I'm, I'm not a lube tech. I'm a mechanic, you know? And he's like, yep. ah, well, what can you do? You know, which I always find now I find as to be the stupidest question. When I hire people I ask, what can't you do? What do you, what do you not feel comfortable doing? Where, where do you lack experience? But, um, I'm like, oh, I'm I'm really good with OBD. Uh, it's like probably calling it OBD, not even OBD two. Um, you know, electrical and and yada yada. I, I knew nothing. I literally knew nothing. But mm -hmm. I believed in fake it till you make it. And these guys were stupid enough to hire me. So I was like, oh, win win. I'm good. I'm in. 
I'm, I'm, I'm a real mechanic now, not just a Sears mechanic at Mining yeah. So, uh, I, um, I walked in there. I'm going to be, tr- I'm going to try not to talk too long. Cut me off if you need to, by the way, cause I could just go on no. and on. <laughs> no. But, uh, I don't know if you remember when Sears, uh, released that, that craftsman toolbox and it was a plastic box about this big, probably. And it had three red drawers made of plastic that would slide out. And it came with, it was like a starter set, you know? Yeah, it came with uh, some quarter-inch stuff, you know, standard and metric. Some 3-8 standard and metric. Very minimal half-inch standard and metric. Um, I think all 12-point, the whole set. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, a couple, like, screwdrivers and loose wrenches. So I walked into Meineke my first day with this little Craftsman thing, then a bag of wrenches and screwdrivers on top of it. And I'm like, where do I put my box? You know, everyone's fucking laughing at me. And, uh, <laughs> like, like, my first day, I'm like... Oh shit! Like this is way different than Sears. What did I get into? You know, and yep. I'll remember I was doing a look over on a vehicle for something. Can't remember what it was, and um, I don't know if it was my first day or my my first week. Um, but I remember very distinctly having the question in my head, and I can't remember if I actually asked it or if I like somehow like like figured it out. But I very specifically remember not knowing the difference between a tie rod or a ball joint. And I'm like, you know, th- this is also, I've, at this point, I have like a couple years into the career and I still don't know what a tie rod or a ball joint was because there was no one to learn from really, you know, nope. no, no mentorship. Y- exactly. There was, there was nothing. So, you know, Meineke, I was there for a while, then moved back to New York and, um, and then I started working, was Ford? No, sorry. Moved back to New York. Then very shortly moved down to North Carolina, worked at another Meineke, there I kind of learned a lot of a lot more of the basics, uh, how systems worked. Um, I remember being there and trying to figure out like why uh, a car uh, had low or, or poor heating quality in the cabin and not understanding when I was there that your heat even comes from the cooling system. I didn't understand how the cooling system and your heat wasn't related. But so there I started to learn a lot more of the basics. Um, I was there for like a year and a half. And then when I moved back up to New York, I got my first, what I would call my first like real job, which was at a Ford dealer. Um, and uh, I was there for about three and a half years. And there were guys that were good there, but um, but the, the four, there, were, there were three or four guys that were really good. There was one guy, I guess I'll say their names. They won't care if they hear this. There's Pat. Basically, Pat didn't fucking like anybody. Don't talk to Pat. Oh, sorry. Can I curse on this? I'll curse again. Okay. <laughs> uh, Pat didn't like anybody. Don't talk to Pat. Pat's grumpy. Pat doesn't take lunch because he wants to leave early and he just wants to bang out all his hours. Pat doesn't touch gas. Pat only works on diesel. Um, Pat took a liking to me so I could ask him questions, but I probably had like one a week, you know, that I was allowed to ask him. And that that was like, that was my minimum. So I saved that one question a week. Um, Murph, the shop foreman, go to ask him a question. It would depend on his mood. Um, 5% of the time he would walk out of his bay and he'd come help you and, you know, you'd, you'd be extremely grateful for that but he was the foreman he was busy all the time so it wasn't often um and uh <laughs> and then the other 90 percent of the time he'd just scream at you to read the fucking book um that and that's i i say that in my comments sometimes and in my videos read the fucking book like that stuck with me so hard and yeah. that that's actually probably why i i never uh felt the need or not not the need but i i never um searched out to see if there was any formal training except from what you could get from your employer 
was because I was mm-hmm. so conditioned to read the fucking book and like that, that was it. Read, read the fucking book, like read the principle of operation, read the theory, how it's supposed to work. Uh, try to read the wiring diagrams if you can. At the time I, I couldn't read them like I could now, but yeah. um, it was, it was very much that the guys weren't going to let you have a car leave and kill somebody if you asked for help. But if you asked for help that they felt that you should be able to figure out on your own, they would just they basically blow you off. Try to figure it out on your own, you know? So did you get any kind of access when you were there to like the Ford training or was it just on the job as you learn? So when I got hired there, I got hired specifically as the used car guy because none of the guys in the shop wanted to work on off brand. They had zero interest in it. And they had a very, very large used car department. They did. You know, they, they did probably, you know, 50, 60 cars uh, a month, which uh, for some dealers doesn't sound huge. But being that this was, you know, kind of a smaller Ford dealer in my area, it was a big deal. Um, so I got hired specifically for the used cars. And then when there wasn't used car work, I would do the Ford work. But because of that, um, they weren't worried about me getting certifications to do warranty work, which was fine. I loved that as a flat rate tech, that I wasn't going to have to do warranty work. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, because I didn't need the certifications, I wasn't really required to do the computer work. And I was, you know, more concerned about whatever the hell I wanted to do after hours than doing that after hours anyway. Um, they also didn't pay shop time for training, um, you know, for you to read or, or do work after hours or during hours. Um, and uh, they sent me, what did they want? They wanted me to go to an electrical class for some reason. It was like maybe... Either the, the group or the Ford uh, franchisee or, or whoever might have said, like, everybody's got to have this basic electrical class down. Um, and I had been there for, like, two, two and a half years at the time already. So at this point, I had gained a lot more finesse with um, how electrical systems 12-volt worked. So when I went to this class, um, it, it was one day. I shouldn't say no formal training. I have one day of formal training. When I went to this class, um, I got there, and it was, like, really the bare, bare, bare basics. And by the end of the day, I was like helping the other like students try to figure out or wrap their head around what we were talking about in this electrical class. Um, not that I'm like, you know, the instructor's like, here's my buddy, you know, helping me out. Like, it was just like, Oh dude, what does this mean? Like, Oh, that's, you know, uh, it's open. It means like literally like, think of it. It's open. Like there's nothing there. There's nothing touching. It's open, you know? Um, yep. And uh, that was the only thing they ever like required me to do. So I, I just really didn't, um, I wasn't pushed to do it. I didn't think to do it. I just was, give me a car. Let me figure it out. was kind of the way my, my head always worked. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing to me because I guess from, from watching what you, the, the very, the varying experience that you, you, you put out there that you work on different makes, different models, you know, can diagnostics, fuel trim diagnostics, oxygen sensor diagnostics, like misfire diagnostics, you, you, you come across as somebody that like, obviously you have a ton of experience on the job, but I mean, you're for somebody that doesn't have, um, formal training, you've got an excellent grasp of the, of the principles about how it actually really all works. Yeah. I I appreciate that. Yeah. I think that's commendable because I mean, you know, we hear sometimes, guys that are, are tasked with doing diag in a shop and they go, well, I've got no training on that. Right. And, and you've never made that excuse in your life. Obviously you just kind of go in there and give it a shot. So that, 
that's a um I don't think there's any doubt that like I do have an ego. There's definitely an ego about me. I get that. And I think a big part of that is a part of my ego that when I got into this career, like, you know, you know, how people will go to particular shops and the shop will be wrong and then they'll come back for the same problem. They'll be wrong again. They'll be wrong a third time, be wrong a fourth time. And it's like, no, no slack off anyone's shoulders. Like no one, except for the customer. You know what I mean? But a, mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of places, I don't want to say the majority, but a lot of places treat that as, ah, we're wrong. What do you want me to do about it? Do you want me to figure it out? You you know, pay me. I'll figure it out. Or if they're nice, you know, oh, you don't have to pay me. I'll, I'll get it figured out. I always had, because of the ego and the way that I think about, like, I, I care about what each individual human being on this planet thinks of me. I don't know why, but I do. Um, because of that, I never wanted to be wrong. I, like, the the looks from other people, if I would do something and I would be wrong, would kill me more than spending five hours on something that I'm only getting paid an hour for. Like the, um, my, my name and reputation mattered more than money or time or numbers or anything like that. And because of that, it it just like, it sparked this, uh, this feeling that I need to know how things work. I need to know what failed and why, so that the next time I do this, I don't have that fear of being looked at as if I was wrong about something. You want to come back to the next one, an expert on it. Right, right, exactly. Um, So that was where, um, (laughs) in lieu of any formal training, I have probably a thousand to thousands of hours of unpaid personal training, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I understand it. I I mean, that was early in my career. I spent that too. And then it's, you know, my... I don't want to say my attitude shifted, but I just, I, I went through a burnout phase where it's like, I don't care. You know what I mean? I don't care if I fix every car I want to, I, I want to make a decent living and you know, my pride stopped getting in the way of me really, truly enjoying life. Like I was that guy that I'd work six days a week at the dealership. I'd go in at seven in the morning. I'd be there till eight at night, the sit nine at night, the salesman would come by and lock the you know door and I'd have my car on the inside of the shop. So I could drive my car out when I was done at whatever time I was done, but the doors just shut behind me. The security system was already activated. The whole thing, like it was, it was, that's how it went. And I realized that it's like almost 10 years of that. And I had such little to show for it other than a bunch of experience, a bunch of stories um, and a really jaded attitude. You know, it, it burned through a relationship. It, uh, you know, it, it alienated some friends. I mean, I had some great friends that, like we're in the industry too. So, you know, it was always became like a, a competition of what did you fix? What did you solve? Oh, I solved that. And, you know, like I was that guy that people would call up from other dealers and say, have you seen this yet? You know, because it was like, I wanted, I wanted every diag job that came in the door. I wanted every one of them. And it wasn't because it's just the money thing is I would get so mad when we'd all have to sit there and, and people have heard me talk about this, you know, they do the monthly meeting and they talk about comebacks and you're looking at it going, I didn't have any comebacks. I didn't have any misdiagnostics. Like, oh, okay. That guy over there did. Well, you know, it's, it's been a year. He hasn't been able to figure this stuff out. You guys shouldn't be probably dispatching diag work to him, or he's not going to spend the time to do it. Give it all to me. In hindsight, I realized that that's just not like, there's only so many cars that can physically get looked at in a day. And, it's oftentimes more than one person can look at. But I, back then in my dumb, you know, I don't want to say youth, but 
inexperience, I was like, <coughs> I want them all. That way I don't have to sit here and listen to this complaining. They're going to complain about anything, right? It doesn't matter. But, right. Well, I understand where you're coming from. Like, it, it was a lot of nights with a harness tore open trying to find the problem, you know, because the – I stopped chasing intermittents a long time ago, but, you know, I would still chase intermittents. I would, you know – if I could duplicate that feeling, but I had no data, no nothing, scan tool didn't catch it, it would drive me nuts because you knew it's broke. You mm-hmm. know there's something going on, right? But you got no no code to go on. What do you start doing? Well, you start like undoing grounds and undoing connections and, you know, just looking for a needle in a haystack. If I could have had all those hours back, <laughs> I mean, you know, what would I have done with it? I wouldn't be what I am is what I guess my point, you know? Right. Right. You, you wouldn't. And that's, um, you know, that's, that's where I, I guess, you know, I always, from the beginning, I always knew that I, I didn't want to just work for employers. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to have my own shop, which is funny now that I'm a mobile guy with a shop that I opened that I closed. But, um, I, I knew that I wanted to, in some way, work on cars for myself, you know? And, um, because of that, I don't know if it was, I had the, uh, the foresight that, all of the the time that I'm investing in myself that I'm not getting paid for is going to help me because once I jump out there to do my own thing, I I have no one to call and ask for help. There's nobody. It's it's on me. You know what I mean? At that point, it's really my money and and my situation. And uh, you know, there's no guarantee at the end of the week for you know someone yeah. that's self employed and everything. So um, I don't. I don't look back at the amount of hours that I, I spent in other people's shops uh, or the dealer um, as lost time by any means. Um, I've had my couple times of, of burnout, most definitely. Um, but those times of burnout didn't come from the cars or the work. They came from the owners of particular places that I was at or the way that I felt that I was yep. being um treated or respected or valued at you know particular places so i made myself unemployable you know yeah yeah i i can relate to that definitely so when you left the ford dealer what happened after that so is that kind of set off on your own or i no i um i left the ford dealer um after three and a half years so let's see i was uh probably 23. I probably had like six, seven, six, seven years into the industry with like a, a year long gap by that point when I left there. Um, mm-hmm. but when I left Ford, it was cause I found an ad that, and this sounds like <laughs> so crazy that I'm saying this now, I found an ad to make a lot of money per week for Monday through Friday work, which was, uh, or actually Monday through Saturday work, which was $550 a week, take home us. That was a lot of money then for, for where I was at. You know what I mean? So I found this ad. I was actually, um, I was doing a test drive on one of the used cars and I was pissed off about something at the dealer. I, I can't remember what it was, but I had been looking to make a change for, for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And I, uh, I found that ad on Craigslist and said 550 a week. And it was like a couple towns over, but not too far of a drive. Like it was the same distance from where I lived compared to driving to Ford. And I'm like, 550 a week. I'm like, like, hmm, maybe I'm like, maybe I could go out there and, you know, and, and not be stuck here and, and move on to other things. And, you know, yeah. I've been working on off-brand cars at Ford this whole time, as well as Ford's. Um, Ford's pinpoint tests at this point have helped me so much with understanding how systems work and how to test and diagnose. I'm like, you know, maybe I could go to another shop and and, and make 
good money. So I called them up about the ad and uh, he goes, uh, I just have one question. He goes, can you do timing belts? I say, yeah, I can do timing belts. I'll do timing belts all day for five fifty a week. And he's like, okay, when can you start? And I'm like, I'll go put in my two weeks. Like, I don't know. Cause you want me to come for an interview or, and uh, he was like, no, no, just when do you want to start? And I was like, all right. So I was very nervous leaving a job that I was like, I, I was never going to get fired from or anything like that to go to a job that I didn't even interview for. Um, mm-hmm. So before I put in my notice, I was like, you know, I'm going to drive down there and just meet these guys real quick. So I drove down there. I can't remember if I left early because that was one benefit at Ford. If we had no work left for the day and we were flat rate, you could just go home because we had no guarantee. So right. I, I can't remember if I left earlier or the next day or whatever, but I, I went down there. Um, it was um, basically like a foreign entity that owned this place, like outside of the U.S. They had guys living here that uh, owned gas stations and, and little repair shops inside of gas stations. So I got there. It was a very small shop. Um I really couldn't understand the guys that were working there and stuff like that. Uh, but I was like, you know what? I, I, I haven't been happy at Ford for a while. I'm going to see if I can make this work. And it's, it's good money per week. So uh, worst case scenario, I'll just go back to Ford, you know? Um, yep. So I ended up starting work there and it very quickly um, became apparent to me that this was the shop that everybody um, thinks that every a privately owned mechanic shop is like, and the worst of the worst with ones actually are out there. Like when I got there, they were cutting CV boots. Uh, They were spraying shocks with oil. They were um, not changing oil in certain customers' cars, or they had waste oil that looked like it was kind of okay that they were saving money by putting in people's cars. And like my first day there, like they didn't even really like try to hide it or anything. Like it was, very quickly, I realized that shit. And I'm like, oh my God, like, what have I done? Like, what have I done coming here? Um, but I had just started at this new job. So I'm like, all right, maybe I could find a way that I'm not like involved with that shit somehow. And I'll just get the work done. You know what I mean? Like you do, you, you do whatever you want and then tell me and I'll, re- I'll replace the axle if you want me to replace the axle. But I'm, I'm going to like close my eyes to this shit for as long as I can until I figure out an option of where I'm going to go or, or what I'm going to do here. Um, and, uh, luckily within like the first two days, I realized that the manager they had, he, he couldn't sell anything. Like he was horrible. You could have metal to metal brakes and he would find a way to screw up selling that to the customer. And it wasn't cause he was price gouging. Like they tried to do everything super, super cheap. Um, yeah. he just, he really like could not sell anything. So I'm like, all right, maybe this is my end. So, I think it was like my the end of my first week there. I texted the owner and I was like, "Listen, you know the manager. He's he's a nice dude and stuff like that. But the reason you're not making money is because no one's buying these jobs that he's selling, and because they cared completely about money. I'm like, I knew this would be a good mo. So by like the second or third week that I was there, they fired that guy and then made me the manager. So I'm like, all right, mint, we got this now. Um, the tech that was in like the 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 whole circle of them like cutting that axle boots and spraying shocks and stuff there was another tech that had started uh right when i started so he wasn't like involved in the previous like bad shit so i fired the one guy that was involved with the stuff the other manager was doing pretty much like on the spot um i think 
<laughs> I think I called into the office and I'm like, hey, by the way, um, I don't want to say his name, but uh, by the way, he's fired. And they're like, why? I'm like, because I'm the manager. He's fired. So that, that was the end of discussion. Um, and then what I did was I basically had this shop that had a, a piece of shit reputation. Like this wasn't like people knew they did this stuff. Um, but uh, they offered $10 inspections. That was why people still went there. $10 New York state inspections instead of 21. Um, (laughs) so, uh, then my goal there was to take this as a fresh start, like mom and pop shop and build a good reputation for it. Um, I still had to sell stuff as cheap as possible because that was just the dynamic of the area that we were in. Um, but, uh, that became like my, my, my project to figure out if I was going to be capable of running a shop for my, for myself. Um, I lasted about a year there and then the owners started to want to do the shady shit again. So I left. Um, and when I left there, I then went to a, uh, it was actually th- these guys I have no problem talking about Duchess auto body in, in Pauling, New York. Um, it was a father and son, um, that ran the place and owned it. Uh, the same guys in the body shop for like 30 years. Then we had the mechanic shop on the other side, you know, long-term employees that were there. The guy I replaced was there for like nine years. Uh, and it was a really, 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 really good place to work. Their morals fit where I did. Um, it was very, very stress-free until Mm -hmm. my fiance got pregnant and there was no room for growth financially. So... Then at that point, I was there for like five, five and a half years. At that point, I went to a used car dealer in New Windsor, New York. Um, and they gave me the premise that I was going to set up a repair shop inside of their shop, like a registered New York State repair shop, and that I would get a 50-50 partnership in that portion of the business. So we'd make it a separate business. I lasted about six months there, made it a registered repair shop, was doing repair work on top of taking care of all the used cars that were there. And um, the owner had like he's like clinically bipolar he had like a like a, a manic depressive like you know a couple yeah. months long episode and uh i just i couldn't do it anymore so i quit working there sorry this is so long and drawn out they might have to edit <laughs> some of this out but um i started um uh or i left working there and i had like 300 dollars, and i'm like i don't know what i've never quit a job without having a job lined up like i don't know what i'm gonna do right now but it was that bad um so I set up a couple interviews and I'm like, you know what, in the meantime, I'll just put a post up on Facebook. I'll say, hey, listen, you know, everyone I used to do side work for and stuff. I'm in a jam. I'll, I'll do some side work if you guys need it and stuff. Um, very quickly, I had jobs that were starting to get scheduled and lined up. Meanwhile, I still only had 300 bucks to my name at this point. And the day after quitting, I went to an interview and, um, they offered me decent money, but I basically told them, like, I think I'm overqualified for the job because they just do brakes, tires, and oil changes and upsells. Um, yeah. It's kind of like a, a non-chain, quick luby kind of deal. We have a lot of them in our area. Um, and uh, and then I went for another interview at a shop that does millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. Independent shop, uh, lots of bays, lots of lifts, lots of techs. And the owner was... So fucking weird, man. Jeff, I can't even tell you how weird this guy was, dude. It was like having an interview with Nosferatu, I swear to God. And oh. uh, they were offering like $150,000 a year for a shop foreman position. So I'm like, all right, maybe I could deal with Nosferatu for 150 k a year, you know, as a shop foreman. So the thing that killed me on it was I, 
I kept asking him the same question. I'm like, well, what would my job description be as shop foreman? Am I, am I doing the hard diags? Am I watching over the other guys, strolling around for help? Am I just doing my own work and helping the guys? Am I doing the majority of the test drives? Like what, what part, what are you trying to fill here that you're missing for the business? And he just literally like the only words that would come out of his mouth, no matter how many different ways I asked that question was what we care about is volume. That's all he could get out. And I'm like, okay, so you're, you know, you're a, you're a chain quick lube without a chain at this point that does more involved work and probably holds the quick lube principles to that larger scope of work. Um, and he's like, well, when can you start? And I was like, I'm like, I got some jobs I got to get through and then I'll, I'll get back to you and let you know. So I went home, I cracked the beer and I, at this point I had 200 bucks left to my name and um, my fiance came outside and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm just on my phone. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, hold on, hold on. And I'm like an hour and a half later, she's like, babe, what are you doing? And I'm like, uh, I just spent our last 200 bucks on starting my business. She's like, what? <laughs> so uh, at that point I decided I, I could not work for anybody ever again. Um, started my mobile business because it was the easiest and fastest way to get legal in New York state as a registered repair shop. And I thought I'll build my client base and money up so that I can afford to, uh, get into a shop. And, um, and here we are. So you just, you put some tools in a, in a van and, uh, you went, no, no, I, uh, I had a, I had a Hyundai Santa Fe which uh, those seats are uh, ripped out of. Um, I ripped the seats out of it, and uh, I had no cage or anything like that, and I literally just threw as many many tools as I could into the back of it. Um, I mean, I kind of made it organized-ish, being that I had a jack in there I had to get out, I had to reach for stuff, but it was literally a Hyundai Santa Fe with a million tools just like, thrown into the back of it. Like, if I got got in a car accident, well, I did get in a car accident in that thing, but if I got in a high-speed front end car accident, I would have been dead like immediately. One of my wrenches would have killed me or something. Um, and I, I used that thing. What was it? The first, I think the first six months of the business. And then I had a lady hit the the left side of me. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to use this insurance money for a down payment on, on a transit connect. Like I, you know, I drive around now and, um, and then I upgraded to a real van with a real cage got it wrapped and stuff. So very, very slowly over the, you know, the first year I kind of invested into making it look like a, uh, a regular full fledged business, but yeah, no, no van from the get go. Just lots of, lots of freaking tools in the back of the Santa Fe. Tell me how you went out and built that client base, because I, I want to say that you probably got, I know you said you don't have as many as you used to, but at one time point, you probably had a massive client list, eh? Yeah. Um, so over the years, I've gained between uh, two to three thousand what I would call regular customers saying I've done work on their vehicles two or three times or more. Um, that was over about a five year period. And then at that mark was when I decided that I was going to structure myself specifically going to shops and doing diags for, you know, shops that needed diag help or programming or whatever the case may be. Um and the reason for that was that the client list was too big. I grew out of business. I couldn't keep up with like it was. It was um, what's the word I'm looking? It it gave me feelings of dread every time a notification would go off of my phone because I knew that I wouldn't be able to get to it. And someone that I had taken care of thoroughly in the past was going to get pissed off because I couldn't even give them the time of day to answer a simple text. Um, and it that that weighed heavy on me. So yeah, I I just. 
I grew out of business, but it was all, all word of mouth. Um, aside from my shirts or my wrap on the van, I spent $0 on marketing the entire time. Um, just the, the same principle I used when I went into that shop, um, in Mayapak that was a very poorly accepted shop by everybody was when people would come in, I would tell them if I piss you off or if I make you happy, I may gain one or two customers through you from word of mouth. But if I piss you off, guarantee I'm going to lose five to 10 before I ever have the chance to speak to them. And I always stuck with that mentality, um, which is why I, I also gave out a lot of stuff for free. You know what I mean? Like ton of ton of free work as long as it wasn't like skin off my back. Um, obviously, being very good at taking care of any warranty work that I had to do, anything that would make a customer um, suspect of, of me doing something wrong. Like, let's say I put um, I put a uh, alternator in a car, and then two days later, the battery took crap because it was a battery that had been run down so many times. I would tell them yep. I, it wasn't even worth the fight. I would say, listen, no problem. Just pay for the battery. I'll come and throw the battery in for free. I want you to know that I didn't misdiagnose this. You did need an alternator. I want you to leave with that, you know, that good feeling here. But what I'll do for you is I'll just, I'll put the battery in for free for you. And everyone, everyone was always happy with that. So just a hundred percent, pretty much just word of mouth. That was it. Right. And because to build that kind of client base without any kind of marketing, massive, huge, right. It obviously speaks volumes about the, the kind of the way you conduct yourself and the way, you know, people, the trust is there. You know what I mean? And the referral business, like that's what it's all about. We forget, okay, I didn't do any marketing, but the big key is referral. People, if, you know, and I don't want to think that you were probably always necessarily the customer's cheapest option, right? But you were the one that was, was going to go there, get the Diag right, not have to inconvenience them any more than absolutely possible, right? And, and, and repair the car the right way the first time. And then it, look what it did for you. 3,000 customers. But yeah, it's uh, what a weight on your shoulders, man, to think that that phone every time it goes off is is something else that needs attention or, you know, um, how do I? So when you, you never went to a second, did you ever go to a second mobile unit? Like, would yes. you ever get to the? So, yeah. um. For anyone listening that uh, that's confused about where I said I had a shop and I um, I do not anymore and I had the mobile business. So um, after having the mobile business for about three years, I finally let my, uh, a partner, a business partner, convince me to start a shop that I had said no to for two and a half years. Um, I went into it with full optimism at the, at this point. Don't get me wrong; like we we put a lot of time and effort in trying to get this thing going, um, yeah. and. I ended up closing after uh, two years and it was because I lost about, we each lost about $60,000 cash, not like, you know, money we didn't make like $60,000 like that we lost between time, money. He put up the majority of the money. I put up the majority of the time um, and um, it it did not work out. And, and when I say it didn't work out, I want to be very clear that it all falls on to me as why it didn't work out. Like I've said in previous videos and stuff, that it's because I I couldn't staff it. The guys I hired had too many mistakes and comebacks. Um, you know, uh, things weren't um, organized as to where we would be billed for parts that we didn't get, or our returns wouldn't go through, or they'd right. 
take a defective $400 AC compressor and return it as a $30 core instead of defecting it. Um, you know, backend stuff like that, that didn't get noticed. I could, I have a million reasons why the shop failed solely. It comes down to the, the, the simple fact that even though I was optimistic when I started opening it, I did not care about it as much as I cared about the mobile business. And I always put the mobile business first. And because I had two to 3000 customers that, took away from any of the time that I could focus on or, or care about the shop. Um, so you, that you, you spread yourself too thin, Chuck. Can you say that? Uh, yeah, I most definitely did. Um, and getting back to your question, when I first started the mobile business, I wanted to, I wanted to franchise this thing out basically, or I wanted to get, um, you know, a, a fleet of vans on the road of guys that would go out, you know, even, even uh, different States and stuff and fix your cars. Um, so I ended up hiring, um, with the mobile business, I ended up hiring, uh, the mechanic that started working with me at that really crappy shop at the same time I started working there. Um, because he was good at taking direction. Um, he really didn't screw up that much. Uh, he would ask for help when he needed help. I knew where his qualities were and where his faults were. Yeah. I could, I couldn't put him on something as simple as a headlight, not working, but at the same time, I could put him on, you know, uh, struts all around on a Toyota Camry that you got to pull the back seats out and on the ground, he'd have that thing done in like an hour. You know what I mean? So I knew I'm like, all right, I can make money off this guy. Um, so I ended up hiring him on, paying him really, really good money to ride around in the van with me. And after about six months, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm confident at this point that I can know what jobs to send him on that I don't even have to go to at first. Um, you know, he... He was lacking some tools. I'm like, no problem. I'll just buy tools. I'll buy another van. I'll load up what he doesn't have. Bought another right. scan tool for it. Um, and I I put him in his own van. And I was like, this is, you know, this is great. Now I only have to be at half of these places. Or I could get more work going so that we could get double the work done. Two places at once. I know where to send him, yada, yada. And um, as soon as I put him in his own van, he just completely fell off. Um, the quality of work went into the hole. I was going back. I was redoing brake jobs that he was doing because he was just hammering the pads into the brackets, which he would never, ever, ever, ever do if we were at that job together. And I was looking over it. Um, I, uh, I found out he was, uh, cause I had a GPS on the van. I found out that he would, uh, park the van like close to a customer's house that he was supposed to be working at. He would do the work on the car and then he would like meet up with one of his little hussies and have him pick him up. So that I thought that the job was just taking three hours. Meanwhile, he had it done in the first 45 minutes and he was spending two hours at, at lunch with, you know, with whatever girlfriend it was at the time. Um, I didn't find this out till like way later when like one of them told me. But um, yeah, I thought he was just taking forever on these jobs, you know, but that the comebacks and stuff. And then um, I had we had to do tranny lines on. I can't remember what kind of Chevy van, but it was a Chevy van. Uh, yeah. training line popped off when they were going up a hill, ended up costing me a $3,500 transmission. Uh, in the weeks coming up to that, there were steadily more and more comebacks that I was going to, but you know what? He was out of work for a week or two. That's why I was going to like a lot more comebacks and stuff. They all like seemed to hit at the same exact time that I couldn't send him to go figure out what he screwed up. Uh, and then the, the transmission was, you know, as, as a one man show, it's hard to cover through a $3,500 transmission, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I let him go at, after that. Um, 
I had an apprentice uh, for a while that rolled around with me, and a paid apprentice because we talked about that before. And um, he, you know, I, I was trying to train, so I was trying to mold somebody that had zero knowledge into what I want to see out of an up and coming tech. Um, right. And it was it was too it was the same thing. It was just too many costly mistakes for me to uh, handle on my end. There was one car that he put a battery in it backwards. I don't know if you remember that video. Um, I think I saw that. Yeah, cost cost me a PCM, a radio, I think like thirteen fuses. I think some other module I had to put in. I can't remember. Um, and stuff happens. Like I, I I get that obviously. Like it's it's gonna happen if you're becoming a shop owner whether it be mobile or in a business, you're going to have to expect these things to happen. Um, but it's just, I was stretched too thin to try to cover those things. I wasn't, you know, I didn't start either of this businesses with a hundred grand in the bank to back me up for, for problems like this that happen. Um, so I ended up putting him in, uh, into the shop cause I had the shop at the time. Um, he did better there, but yeah, we just, eventually we ended up just closing the shop and, I probably went through 12 or 13 employees in that shop in that two year period. So is, and I was going to ask, so you said you had some staffing issues. Is it, is it the, the quality of technician is just not out there that you needed the quality of technician and the quality of person, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, I, as a, as a bit, I'm a very, very, like, I like to think that I'm a very good diag tech or tech when it comes down to it as a business owner, I am not, I don't have a heavy enough foot to be a good business owner, um, over, you know, multiple technicians that are there. Now, now here's the screwed up part. Had that not been a shop that I had ownership in and Mm -hmm. my partner had just hired me as a shop foreman or a manager, I probably could have really, really succeeded there. Um, but when it's in my hands and I want to treat things like I, you know, per se, what I said with the alternator and putting in a battery for free, that's how I expect to treat things. So I get to see that customer again in the future. If I have to do that on every other job because you guys are screwing up every other job, I'm going to personally tank that business by giving stuff out for free that another shop that I look down on because they don't care about not caring that I mean, that's why, that's why they're, they're succeeding financially. And and I was not, you know? Yeah. And I I don't want to, I'm not trying to argue. I just find that sometimes when we label when when somebody says another shop doesn't care, I think the care thing is is where they put the care on the priority. You know what I mean? Like we, we talk sometimes about I really, really, really care about my customers. But then some people have cared about to their customers to the point of where they don't care about themselves enough. They don't look after themselves enough, right? It, 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 they dedicate too many hours or financially it doesn't make sense, you know, and they keep just nose to the grindstone keep right on pounding i'm not trying to say that's you chuck i'm just i i've seen shops that have been down that road i've 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 worked in shops that you know if the customer drove away and got the best of you and you felt like you took care of them they went eh, it is what it is and you know then i've also seen some really smart people that are like okay i'm not trying to rip anybody off here but i have to survive so that i can serve customers again it may not always be the same customer but i have to be around to serve customers i think that's sometimes what gets lost in this industry is and i I find it if they have a succession plan where they're like okay i'm building this business to leave to my children then they seem to do it a better way than i've like some people are just like 
I'm going to get in this and get my feet wet and try it out. And then I think they get in and they don't really know like exactly sometimes how tough you have to be. You know what I mean? Like we can do whatever we want to think we're caring for the customer, but at the end of the day, you have the numbers have to work so that you can stay in business. You know, I definitely agree. Um, that's uh, something like, don't get, I was talking to uh, Chris from Enright Auto the other day about how much things have changed in my own policies in the last two years. Um, and the difference in the way that I do business in itself compared to how I was two years ago, um, where I, I, I learned a lot from, from, uh, not succeeding with the shop, you know? Um, but when I say a, um, a shop that doesn't care, uh, if you, you remember the movie, the mask Yep, with Jim yep. Carrey, you remember the two mechanics in, in the shop and they're like, they pull the, I can't even remember. I think it was an ABS pump or something out or something stupid. He goes, Oh, what's this here? And the guy goes, I don't know. It looks like about $1,800 to me or whatever. And they just throw it. Like, that's kind of what I mean. Like when I say a shop that doesn't care, like for instance, the, um, the, the shop I worked at in North Carolina, when I moved down there, that is a shop that I would say is a shop that does not care. Um, and the reason that I say that is because the, um, it's like a it's like a chain effect thing. Okay, we had one good tech. Like I'm not even calling myself a good tech at the time when I was there. So we had let's if we take me out of the equation because I don't know who I was at the time. It, we had one good tech. Um, the other technician was literally a dopehead that would steal change out of people's cars. Uh, like he'd get out of a customer's car, and he'd be like he'd be jingling as he got out. Um, you had. Uh, uh, another rotating position that was just a shitty tech that came in and out every like week or two is a different guy. And then you had a manager who was like upstairs snorting pills on top of the mufflers and uh, literally just did not care, like did not care at all. It was just, yeah, I'm, I'm here to do a job and that job is this. And then the owner who bought a Meineke franchise had no interest in cars, didn't know what a rotor was, um, literally showed up for maybe an hour every other day just to go over the numbers with the manager and then leave like that to me. Sorry. That's, I was the guy that the one good guy and myself were the two people that cared at the shop. Yeah. And when you have two people out of six that, that care to me, that's just, that's a shop that doesn't care. You know, there's no leadership. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's just a whole chain of people that didn't care. So, so when I say that, I don't want to generalize into like, you know, um, any show like there's shops in my area that I could point at and go, you know, they 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 kind of aren't the best, but they care. Or mm -hmm. that shop has a really good, you know, uh, uh, office and storefront and really beautiful building and and all of the equipment and stuff. And they got tons of money, but they have one star reviews. And sometimes they, somehow they still have customers like coming in. You know that that kind of a shop like. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard for me to separate the the moral aspect between, mm -hmm. you know, where where is it? Where where's the line where you are caring about making money or you're caring about helping, you know, people or you're, you're like that's just such a blurred area for me, you know. Do you, do you wish when you were running the mobile, and and the shop, the brick and mortar was was floundering? Do you wish that you'd left the, the the mobile and put the focus on that? Or was the focus always for you going to be mobile? Not at all. The The reason for that, too, is is completely and 100% selfish. And that's because I love what I do with the mobile business. And that's a part of the reason why I didn't really care about the shop as much as I should have cared about the shop. 
Um, I was there every day. Don't get me wrong. I was there every day for three to four hours to try to figure out what was going on, try to fight fires and solve problems and stuff like that. But, you know, that that three to four hours that you're there um, is taken away from the mobile business. So now I got to go work harder with the mobile business. So at the end of the day with the mobile business, I don't really care about looking into the numbers, you know, or, or the profit margins with the shop and stuff. So right. you lose that force or that, that side of things. And then two or three months down the road, it's like, why are we not making money? Where's the problems that we should have tried to fix three months ago that we now have to try to fix? Oh, wait a minute. That other employee's gone. Now we have a new guy who we're just trying to, you know, train into how we want things done. And it was, yeah, no, I, I, the, the only re like regrets that I have about the shop is just personal regrets that, you know, that it, it, it was not a success. You know what I mean? Other than that, if I do get a brick and mortar at any point, it will not be a registered repair shop. It'll be my own hole in the wall place where I could just transport cars and work on them with no storefront and stuff like that to stay out of the elements. Or like I get people that send cars to me from like four hours away sometimes. And when they do that, I have to leave them at other people's shops and stuff. And right. while they don't feel like I'm imposing, I feel like I'm imposing. So like if I ever get any brick and mortar again, it'll be off the grid. Yeah. Another friend of mine that does mobile, he has, he shares a little tiny unit with another um, operator so that he has a place that if there's a nightmare car that he can get it, you know, away from the car lot and in there where he can be left alone, go over on it when it's, you know, he can shut his phone off and focus. That's what he wants to do. And that's what he does. But he says the same thing. He doesn't see you know, that he'll necessarily ever get to where he'll get off of a, a mobile thing and have this big, shiny, you know, brick and mortar shop because he's very comfortable and very good at what he does with the mobile stuff. Um, he's on YouTube as well. And um, he, uh, he said the same thing to me. Like, as long as I have someplace I can get out of the weather and work on these nightmare cars and there's, it's like the one he was saying, what did it have? It had an intermittent, when you would start it up, it would almost seem like it was out of time. And it would be very intermittent. And that 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 was a Honda, I think. Sat at that lot for six months. Because the guy's like, listen, I don't have a buyer for it. You know, it's we we're either gonna auction it back if we can't get to the root of it or whatever. Um and it so it could just sit there and when he had time, he could fill time on that vehicle. Um that's what I think a lot more of the mobile guys that's probably how they operate or wanna operate is because like you know, you must know what it's like. Your travel time is half your time, I think, for some of your repairs. By by looking at your videos, I'd say that probably a lot of it, you know, you spend a lot of time just going. And sometimes your travel time is the same amount of time that it would take you to go and do some diags, right? Like, a, a lot of times it is. Um, and I used to not charge travel time or not charge anything. Like if I would show up and I would find a broken wire, and, and this is when I first started the mobile business. But if I would drive 20 minutes away, I'd find a broken wire in 10 minutes and I'd fix it. I'd be like, I don't know, just give me 20 bucks or whatever. Now that's a bare, bare minimum charge of an hour labor. If it's for a customer, that's 145 an hour, um, right. you know, just for driving out there. And if you're over a half hour away, you know, if you're 45 minutes to an hour away, it's going to be an hour of travel time plus, mm -hmm. uh, you know, an, a bare minimum of, of an hour to, to be there. Um, yeah. So, and again, that's, that's also where, when I was talking to Chris, when I was talking about the way things have changed in the past two years, um, in order to make myself more, you know, financially endowed and less stressed out, you know? Um, but the videos can be deceiving too. 
I got, you know, three to 10 minutes to show a diag that I might be there for four or five hours. And some people think it happens in that three to 10 minutes. Like, no, I was there for four to five hours trying to figure this out. You just like got to see me figure it out in four to five minutes, you know? Is it, is it a big, like you, you must be pretty comfortable by now with kind of when you turn the camera on and you kind of show your process or whatever, but is it like when you go to every, when you go to every call, Chuck, do you think like every call, this could be a good video or do you kind you of know what kind yeah? of, I, I think about the, uh, you know, the, the social media aspect a lot when I'm, when I'm going to pretty much like every job, like I'm always checking TikTok or I just started posting on Facebook cause I have copy accounts now. Um, and I uh, just started trying to grow my YouTube and stuff like that. So I am very often thinking about social media and right. sometimes I'll get to a job, I'll diagnose it and then I'll go, man, I wish I recorded that thing. Cause that would have been an awesome freaking video. You know? Yeah. 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 So it's not, you're not, okay. Yeah. That kind of answers my question. You're not picking jobs just based on how it's going to look for, for YouTube. Cause we see some guys on YouTube and I, I want to separate maybe that they're, I'm not going to say that they're not mechanics, but it's very almost like a studio. You know what I mean? And it's a very, okay, I want to do a video of this repair. So I need to find a customer that needs that repair. And then I'm going to bring it in and shoot that video. You're not doing that, right? You're, this is real life, real, you know, I think that's what some of the, so much of the, the appeal is, is because people like, I mean, we look at it, we look at like, you know, we, everybody loves Wichter and everybody loves, you know, all the different guys in mechanics of TikTok because we're seeing it's real life every day, you know, whereas in the YouTube thing, some of it is very, you can tell it's very staged. It's not that I don't like that. It's just, that seems to be almost like serving like a DIY component. Right, if somebody wants to know how to do a water pump or phasers in a in a three five, right? Whereas a TikTok, we don't have an hour to shoot a video unless we want to go live and show it, right? So it's a situation of I'm going to show you something that was really that kicked my butt, as you say, and then I'm going to show you the the break in the wire or the the, the circle I went in to to get to the root of the problem, and it, and it ends up being a three minute thing, and you look like a superstar, but the reality is, like you said, you've got multiple hours into chasing that. You enrich both, right? Hey, if you could do me a favor real quick and like, comment on, and share this episode, I'd really appreciate it. And please, most importantly, set the podcast to automatically download every Tuesday morning. As always, I'd like to thank our amazing guests for their perspectives and expertise, and I hope that you'll please join us again next week on this journey of change. Thank you to my partners in the ASAR group and to the Change in the Industry podcast. Remember what I always say, in this industry, you get what you pay for. Here's hoping everyone finds their missing 10 millimeter, and we'll see you all again next time.